Welcome to the Tangents Podcast. I'm Susan Farley, Project Manager with McLaughlin Research Corporation, and I support the Public Affairs Office here at the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, Division Newport. We've got a great episode for you. May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and we've been so fortunate to get some time from our special guest, Rear Admiral Juan Nguyen, who is NAVC's Deputy Commander for Cyber Engineering. First, I'd like to thank Rear Admiral Wynn and his staff, as well as our sound engineer, John Venucci, for pulling this episode together. A lot of thought and planning went into this, and it's been a pleasure getting to know Admiral Wynn in the process. Admiral Wynn has an outstanding biography, which I won't go into detail here, but I'll post it on the Tangents Wiki page. In this episode, we don't get into a lot of specifics about his Navy career. You can read his bio for that. What we do talk about is sort of his origin story. That story is both heartbreaking and inspiring. Admiral Nguyen became the first Vietnamese-born U.S. Navy officer to achieve flag rank. He was born in Hue, Vietnam, the son of an armor officer in the Army of the Republic of Vietnam. During the 1968 Tet Offensive, Admiral Nguyen's family was killed by Viet Cong communist guerrillas in their family home outside Saigon. His life experiences took him from Vietnam to Guam to Oklahoma and then around the world as part of his military service. In this episode, Admiral Wynn talks about his early days in Vietnam and what led him to a career in the U.S. Navy. We talk about extremism and America and pho. Have a listen. Well, Admiral, thank you so much for participating in this podcast. Yeah, thank you, Susan. Let's let's start at the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your experience in Vietnam? So uh, growing up in Vietnam, uh, my dad was in the... uh, uh, Army Republic of Vietnam, so we move from place to place all the time. Uh, uh, early childhood memory literally is really battlefield and uh, just things that out in the front line. My dad was stationed at the DMZ for the most part uh, originally. Uh, but uh, for me, it was a, a normal childhood growing up. Uh, until uh, they have uh, until we moved to uh, uh, Saigon near the capital city. Uh, at that point in 1968, there was a offensive, total offensive, what they call it, a Tet offensive. Uh, uh, in 1968, uh, insurgent came to my home, and uh, literally uh, massacred my entire family. It was a. Uh, a traumatic event for me because part of that is uh, witnessing my mom and dad was uh, executed, uh, witnessing my mom um, in pain for a couple hours as a child. What I learned out of that is about really about the honor and courage and commitment uh, from my dad to his cause and that kind of shaped uh, what uh, I am today in a lot of way. How old were you? Uh, I was uh, 10 years old at the time. Without going into details, right, uh, my dad refused to cooperate with the enemy. And with that, they, uh, they, they killed the whole entire family just because of it. Woman and child. Um, I have, uh, including myself, six other brothers and sisters. Uh, and they all were massacred at that same time. I'm so sorry that happened to you. You you were also injured, though, am I right? I was uh, I was injured, and I was uh, literally captured by the the insurgent. Um, 
over the night uh, they they kept us there kept kept me there and then uh, when there was a big offensive coming counter offensive uh i was able to slip away and uh, and uh, really uh, trying to find you know just literally trying to run away from the uh, battle zone and uh as I I ran off from the cordon off area, I was uh, uh, mistaken for being an insurgent. So I was on the other hand, as I was running, uh, gunship helicopter was shooting at me, <laughs> running away. Uh, it, it it was quite a uh, harrowing ordeal uh, coming out of that. But um, so how did you get how did you get out of that situation? I was, uh, so I ran into a, um, uh, a, a field hospital. They kind of patched me up a little bit. I ran into one of my father's assistants and he saw me, he, he was asking me about, question about my, um, my uh, mom and dad. I told him what happened. Uh, he made a call to my uncle who then came and picked me up uh, outside of the battle areas, uh, outside of the combat areas and uh, it was chaotic. I can't describe it, right? It's a scene out of um, a, uh, it's like a movie set where people are dying all over the place. You see limbs and arms were torn off. You see people dying on the street. You see people uh, just crying for help. And uh, Where did you and your uncle go after that? Well, we uh we went to a safe area, considered safe, but the whole city was under siege, right? The whole city was uh, under attack. So really, there's no safe place. It, it's just a matter of um, finding a place that you can think that you can, uh, uh, you don't get the, uh, literally find a safe place to, to be at. You know, imagine the whole city is a war zone, right? So really, there's no safe place. We just pray that it, it doesn't happen again at that point. So, again, uh, from uh, 10 on, I, I live with my uncle in a military base. And uh, I, I will tell you, the war is at, at your door, right? Every day you, heard, you hear the shelling, the uh, attack, and things like that. I mean, it's, it's almost literally next door. Uh, you never know what's going to happen next. And uh, living under that condition, you always fear for your life. It's, it's not a good feeling. And uh, so when the communists start a total offensive in 1975, uh, we were lucky enough to be evacuated by the um, American military uh, to Guam. And I was scared. I was 16 then by that time, uh, really scared about uh, what next for me. There, there's, a, there's no hope, there's no future, right? Uh, especially the fresh uh, memories of uh, what happened in 1968 was just fresh on my mind. I know I cannot stand, stay back. So before you arrived in the United States, you uh, stopped off at Guam. And that right. was sort of your, um, maybe your first real introduction to U.S. military. Is that correct? So when it came to Guam, it, it was one of those... Uh, moment that you see uh we we came there and uh i tell you the whole u.s military the people that were there the they don't even have the um the whole area built up at that time to take on take on uh, refugees 
the uh, military, they were building uh, tents, they were building uh, facilities and everything else uh, to uh, greet the, uh, to bring on the refugees in onto the base. And uh, I was just looking at these uh, young sailors and Marines uh, working out in the hot sun, putting up tents, and uh, all at the same time, right, uh, we were really treated with... Uh, dignity and respect. We were not treated like refugees. We were treated like uh, people that really need help. And that, that have a lot of good impression on me about the military, right? about actually it's just about human being, being human, uh, being, uh, being people that really care for other people. And uh, I, I told myself, you know, I have to repay this kindness in the future. I have to repay for for, for what they are doing for us today, right? How did you end up going to the United States? Um, yeah, so it, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Uh, it was, uh, I was uh, one of the, like I said, I was uh, lucky enough, not unlike uh, thousands of other, or millions of others, uh, Vietnamese refugees who have to uh, evacuate by boat. For me, it was, uh, since my uncle was in the Air Force, uh, Vietnamese Air Force, and he has a lot of, uh, he worked a lot with the uh, uh, U.S. Air Force. Uh, we were able to secure a, uh, what they call evacuation flight. But even then, it was like in the middle of the night, you go there, you wait, and it, you see if they even call you up to see if you can get on the flight or not. You, you, had, you don't know, right? So every night, for several nights, uh, we just get there in the darkness and then just wait until... Uh, we get manifested for the flight and then uh, for the flight out to Guam. Uh, we finally did just myself uh, with my, uh, the families of my uncle. He had to stay behind because he's still on duty. The, uh, the whole family was uh, crammed into this uh, C-130 uh, that uh, normally take, I don't know what, what is the capacity there, but they, they would just like shove as many people as they can into the C-130 for the flight uh, to Guam at that point. And again, I, I was sitting on the floor, don't know, again, wondering about my future. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was lucky than most, right, for having that, uh, being on that flight instead of um, you know, escape by boat or like a lot of other refugees. When you came to the U.S., you ended up in Oklahoma. Uh, that must have been a culture shock. What was that like for you? Yeah, uh, it, it's really a culture shock for you know, being in the United States more than being in Oklahoma itself. Number one, the kindness of the people that helping us. Um, I, I came with uh, nothing but a, uh, the clothes on my back, and really I have a violin with me at the time. That was my prized possess- possession at the time. Uh, so they, uh, they took us in. My, uh, my sponsor family is a uh, Colonel Vallover. He was in the uh, U.S. Air Force, retired from the U.S. Air Force, took us in, uh, rent us a one-bedroom apartment for nine people. Uh, so that we can cram into it. Uh, it's tough life, but at the same time, uh, we, I was just grateful being there. I was grateful that uh, we can live in peace. Uh, there's no war going on at any one point. Everything was just so peaceful. Uh, that's, that's the thing that really hit me the most, is that how calm and peaceful and life is so beautiful. 
Uh, it's not uh, like uh, when I was back in the day where I worry about what happened the next day. How did you adapt? How did you um, learn the language? Well, I came, uh, didn't know any, didn't speak any English at all. Uh, they put us in a uh, two-month, uh, uh, I guess, remedial English class. Uh, I, I was studying with a little kid as well as the young, with the adult people that was in there uh, for two months, uh, watching TV, Sesame Street, <laughs> other TV show at the time, Gomo Pie, USMC. <laughs> so it, it is, uh, it really is about just uh, trying to adapt to the culture, adapting to the, uh, and you know, uh, amazing thing is that if you are in a must do situation, you can uh, learn it very quickly. Uh, after that two months, I was thrown into high school. I was uh, going to uh, my uh, junior year in high school. How did you like American so that, high school? Oh, I, I love it. Uh, there, there's so much, uh, so many different things going on at the same time. I, I love the Friday night football games, you know, going to the football games on Friday night. I love all the folks that was in there. Um, my high school is mainly uh, in Oklahoma, so you can imagine there's a very little diversity in there, but the, again, people are very nice. Uh, I learned about the culture, American culture, that way through high school, right? The, uh, the, uh, the pep rally, the uh, different activities within the high school itself. Um, for me anyway, uh, the way that I uh, trying to uh, pass high school really is taking all the math and science class because it's a universal language, right? Everything that you look into the textbook, into what they uh, have to say, it's the same thing that we learned in Vietnam, same thing over here. Uh, take less of a social study class, more of a, uh, the math and science, and actually that set me well, that, uh, set me well for the path for the future. Admiral, can you tell me a little bit more about happy times in Vietnam? You know, I mean, we, we grow up uh, just like here, right? You have um, normal times, you, uh, you go to school, you meet friends, you, you start at 16, I start thinking about dating and things like that, right? So there's a lot of the, um, the good things that are going on. I mean, I love literature, I read books, uh, listen to music. I, uh, I'm happy where I was, uh, but there's also the ugly side of the war, right? The ugly side of the war is that uh, uh, you'll be walking to school or biking to school, and some days you see a house that was, uh, uh, was uh, been rocketed the previous night, and you know the occupant in the house probably dead by then, right? So these are the kind of things that uh, the image that I grew up with living in Vietnam uh, there was time where it's really extremely uh, very very happy. There's time that is really sad. You don't know um, what next. Uh, growing up, right? It's not like we can go to Toys R Us and buy stuff. We we fashion our own toys. We make our own toys. We play with things that we can uh, scrounge up uh, and just be creative and building things to play with. How you started I, uh, to become an engineer. Well, yeah, that's, that's interesting because uh, back then I'm already very, very interested in science, right? I experiment with, uh, with uh, mechanical stuff, making slingshot to uh, go hunting, go bird hunting and things like that. So 
these are the the good memory. I like, like I said, I like the math and science. I uh, I read all the achievement from uh, inventors, from people that uh, create things that make the world better. And I think that engineer is incredible for it. I think engineers bring a lot to uh, making this a better place, right? We we build things, we create things, we build bridges, we build homes, uh, <clears throat> we build machinery that help us uh, do our job better. And so that that those those are the kind of things that uh, motivate me to be an engineer more than just you know join the navy. But uh, it's the it helps you with the creativity. Uh, of a person who want to do something better. So what what made you decide to enlist in the U.S. Navy? Well, I I didn't really enlist, right? So um, I'm going back to the day I was at Guam. Uh, I, I said to myself that I want to repay this kindness. I want to repay this country for what they have done for me. Uh, when the opportunity came, I uh, when I was ready to go to college, I actually tried to join the ROTC program at Oklahoma State. I didn't have citizenship at that point, so uh, one of the officers there was telling me that, hey, come back later on when you get your citizenship, then maybe uh, we can uh, bring you in, but at this point, you, you can't join. I was disappointed, but uh, continued to study. Um, after I got out of uh, college, I... 1981, I was still uh, a permanent resident rather than a U.S. citizen. Finally, I got my citizenship then. Uh, wanted to join at that point, but I got a job offer working for the Department of Defense for the U.S. Air Force. So I did that for, for a while, and uh, in 93, uh, with the Gulf War started, I decided, hey, I, I want to go back and really again, repay this debt that I owe to this country. What uh, were some of your early experiences in the Navy? Did you face any prejudice as uh, when you joined the Navy? Uh, you know, I, um, I really don't. I think the Navy as a whole and the military as a whole is a lot more, um, I would say, progressive in terms of bringing in different uh, background, different ethnicity, different minorities into the armed forces. And we have our goal, we have our mission, we have a job to do. So a lot of time is the capability that you bring into the Navy. Uh, and I would imagine to the rest of the armed forces, uh, we don't look at people differently. America has always been a country of tolerance. I, I, I tell you, you know, we are more in the middle of the road than actually uh, extreme one way or the other, right? Uh, we are always uh, being kind to others. We are, I remember learning through, uh, going through high school, right? Is there discrimination? Yes, there, there, there were discrimination, but a lot of that is misunderstanding. We're not talking to each other. Uh, a lot of times uh, people are just uh, afraid of the unknown, right? Afraid of somebody else that don't eat the same thing or don't uh, have the same belief, if you will, right? Could you talk a little bit about your military career path? Because you've done some yeah, really so cool things. And how did you get interested in cybersecurity? I want to join, you know, so... Uh, literally during high school, I I want to be an astronaut. <laughs> that that was my uh, that was one of my goals. I said, hey, uh, you know, do, 
if you recall at that time, back in the early 80s, the NASA has a lot of the Apollo program ongoing. And uh, I just, I love to be, I love the aviation community. I love want to get into those areas. Uh, but I also love the science and technology of it, right? Uh, uh, every time I step on an airplane, I'm always wondering to myself, it's like, how can man build such a wonderful machine, such a marvel of technology that able to to take off and land it at any one place, right? And so that, that was uh, of a really interest to me. Uh, unfortunately, when I uh, joined the uh, Navy, uh, my eyesight wasn't as good. Uh, it was not 2020. You had to be 2020 to be really joining the, uh, uh, become a pilot. And so they, the other way that, the, the other thing that they uh, pointed out to me was like, hey, there's an engineering duty officer community. This is uh, fit your background. And this is something that uh, you can really uh, help. And uh, so that's why I chose that path going into the uh, EDO community. Um, and it has served me well. Uh, get uh, on my first shipboard tour back then, and uh, I would just love the life of a Navy sailors for that matter. The U.S. is a maritime nation, so uh, I think that uh, we need to be, a, we need to have a strong Navy for it. Okay. And uh, I love the everything technology about the Navy. The Navy really embracing uh, new technology out there. And so uh, as an engineer, uh, this is really a dream, uh, doing the stuff that you love to do, uh, building things, uh, creating new things, innovations, things like that. Um, cybersecurity. Um, interesting enough, it was partly because of my early days of working in some uh, other areas in information technology, uh, get interested in uh, cryptography, if you will, right? Cryptography about uh, code breaking and things like that. It was more of a uh, personal interest to me. And then some of the work that I, uh, I'm doing, uh, I did back then kind of lent itself into cybersecurity. Uh, in this role with the cybersecurity, I again think that uh, this is a new area that we, we need to champion, that we need to make sure that we are prepared for. Uh, because personally, I think that any war scenario of the future, right, the first shot they're gonna be fired will be on the cyber front. At least personally, I think that's, that's what's going to happen. So I want to make sure that we are prepared for it. I want to make sure that we are ready for it. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I'm in the position I'm in to really help uh, prepare us for those kind of scenarios. And what, what are some of the things that you're most proud of in your military career? I'm proud of all the everything that I have done in the military. I, I'm proud of uh, is the fact that uh, we helping with the mission. We helping other. I'm helping my shipmates. Uh, whether I'm helping my battle buddies in uh, uh, in Iraq or Afghanistan, all of those are uh, accomplishment that I'm looking back and I I would not trade with anything. Right, the fact that you have a chance to to help each other. You have a chance to shape the outcome of a, uh, any kind of conflict. It's really indescribable, right? It's something that uh, I believe um, uh, I would look back fondly 10 years from now, and I'm so proud of it that I'd be, I was able to be, be part of it. 
Well, let's shift gears a little bit. And when you see news stories about violence against Asian Americans, what are you thinking? And what would you like people to understand when they're watching these stories? You know, I, I said that America is a, a, a country of tolerance, right? And we are more middle of the road than we are on the extreme side. However, uh, there are extremism on both sides, and I think that the extremism today that I definitely would not stand for it, right? Uh, the Navy overall, as a organization, we do not accept or tolerate extremism. Uh, event of January 6th, uh, you know what happened there. Uh, those are just things that we, we as a nation need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. In the Navy, there's also the core value of honor, courage, and commitment. And I would, I would say that uh, from CNO on down, uh, no one would tolerate that type of extremist behavior. And uh, we need to have a culture of uh, honor and respect for your shipmates, honor and respect for other people. But that's, that's in the Navy, right? So if, if you extract this and going outside uh, to the larger community, it's unfortunate that today we have that type of behavior. But uh, I'm going to be honest here, right? Uh, as an Asian American, uh, there's always this concept, this, th there's always this view that we are the perpetual immigrant in this country. I will give you an example, right? Uh, if I put myself, right, uh, let's say that I'm taking, my, taking off my uniform, I'm just in civilian clothes, myself and another, let's say a white Russian guy, and you will ask the question, which one is the one who served the U.S. military? I will guarantee you the answer most of the time will say, yeah, that is the other guy, not me. But we are as American as any other group, and... To tell you the truth, all the minorities group, every other minority group, everyone else, we are American. We are one American, right? And I, I would like to see one day where we don't look just on the outside. Uh, we need to really educate folks. We need to have that conversation. We need to have that communication with each other to understand each other's, because uh, we are we have a lot more in common than differences. We, we all swear the oath to the Constitution, like it or not, right? We are all put the Constitution ahead of any single individual or organization. Right? The Constitution help us, guide us, and really the North Star for all of us to move forward. Are you optimistic about being able to move forward? Yes, I am. I think that if we talk to each other, we listen to each other's point of view rather than just uh, ignoring it, uh, it will go a long way in terms of healing the wounds and, and bring us back together. I have high hope for this uh, country because all of us, again, we are a nation of tolerance and I, I want to make sure that we continue going down that path. So I think you know one, one way to combat that is to be a little bit more curious about each other's cultures. And um, did you ever return to Vietnam at any point later in your life? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I went back there. I was uh, doing some work for Office of Naval Research, uh, went back there and uh, got a chance to see uh, the country again. It, it changed, right? Um, 
it's still a communist country, but uh, I think that people are a little bit more freer. The uh, the market economy is a lot more thriving nowadays. So you go there, you see McDonald's, you see uh, pizza place, Pizza Hut, you see uh, Sheraton hotels and things like that. It's really uh, uh, good to see that, right? Because at the end of the day, I think everyone recognize that the market economy is uh, is healthy. It it give people a a hope that in the future democracy will eventually take hold and change in the future. What's your favorite thing about your Vietnamese heritage? I think it's uh, it's about the history, about the um, it's about the food, it's about the culture, the way of life, right? Everything that uh, speak to to the Vietnamese uh, heritage, but at the same time, right? It, for us Vietnamese American in the Uni- United States, we actually uh, start blending in with the local culture and create our own uh, culture, if you will, right? Uh, and so if you go down to Louisiana, for example, you see where Vietnamese uh, food is blending in with the Cajun food and then becoming a really a local thing. Uh, that's that's really good to see. You go to California and you see the same thing, right? Uh, the the local food as well as the way that it's going on. People blending it to it to each other's and then and becoming something of a even better. Yeah, I I celebrated. Uh, I celebrate uh, Hispanic Month. I celebrate uh, Asian American. I celebrate any kind of other cultures as well as diversity group because I think for all of us. Uh, having that um, open mind about people would change how you view the world. Um, having that uh, understanding of, of other folks, uh, where they're coming from, change your perspective and really just enrich your life with uh, newer thinking, with uh, different uh, view, different experience. What's your favorite thing about your American heritage? I want to go back and say American is a melting pot of different culture, different people. And being in America just opened up uh, to you, to the world, right? On top of that, uh, we are very, very, in a way, there's the innocence of being American. In a way, there is that that, uh, can-do attitude. You can do anything. You can actually... uh, for someone like me who came over here as a youngster who has nothing in the future, I can be an admiral in the United States Navy. What other country will give me that chance, giving, giving me that opportunity, right? Um, it's a land of opportunities, a land of freedom. Um, you can do pretty much anything you wanted to. And uh, I think that uh, pioneer spirit of the uh, old West is still in all of us. We champion new technology. We came up with innovation. Uh, the internet was American, right? Uh, how how we develop and design the, and how it changed the world today. Imagine that, right? All of the uh, different uh, ideas, the culture, the the musics. So speaking of music, do you still have your violin? I do. <laughs> I haven't practiced for a long time, but I still no. <laughs> have it. Uh, and uh, I promised myself one of these days, I'm going to, one of these days, right? Uh, I will start practicing it again and uh, really play it. I really enjoy it. Um, 
when you think about it, music also help you with uh, psychologically and also, uh, I mean, in general, music just is good for your soul. So I have one, one last question, and and usually, like in in the podcast, I like to leave the listeners with an action or a takeaway or something. So our listeners have learned a lot from your life experiences. Uh, what would you like them to take away from this interview? You know, I, I talk about the American spirit, right? So I'm talking about all of us together as a people of this nation. I want all of us to come together. I want all of us to be embracing each other's ideals and values and want to make sure that uh, we move forward as a nation because together we are much stronger, right? We cannot have uh, uh, different extremism. Uh, we, we cannot have intolerance among all of us. Uh, I want us to look at each other's and then we really celebrate each other's heritage and culture. What's your favorite invention? What do you think has had the most impact? Wow, I think that, uh, I mean, obviously right in front of us is the internet, right? Yeah. The internet changed everything. Uh, and there, that's, that's why there's a lot of countries that are afraid of it. Uh, you see places like in China or even in Vietnam and other places, they, they restricted the internet access from their people because they know that it opened up to ideas, it opened up to new things, it opened up to communication, it's opened up to to everything that we do, right? It brings the world a lot, it makes the world a lot smaller. It brings all of us together. Now there's also the dark side of the internet where extremism coming into, right? You have people that preaching certain ideas, certain things that allow people to uh, to gravitate toward that ideas and think that that's, that's the truth. But that's, that's not it, right? That, that's not the only things. That's, that's not the truth. And people need to open up to it. People need to understand the dark side of the internet of uh, how, how it is, uh, can be used for the wrong reason. I would say that every one of us growing up, and we need to teach our children the same thing, is that we need to have critical thinking. We need to teach them the critical thinking about questioning about uh, is that the truth or not? Seeking the truth, right, I think is uh, important. Otherwise, we continue to have to go down this path where you have extremism that, uh, that creating uh, a false reality that people don't realize it, that they live in. Having uh, left Vietnam at an early age, how were you able to uh, have like cultural traditions passed down? What kind of cultural traditions do you keep you connected to your heritage? Yeah, the language is really one of the things that we try to uh, get folks, uh, get my, like in my family, right? My younger, my oldest daughter, uh, when she was growing up, I, I, I taught her Vietnamese, uh, but eventually she was just because uh, she blend into with the, with uh, at uh, at the school and things like that. She forgot all of it. Uh, the thing that would stay with her a lot is really the food, the uh, the tradition that we have in the family. We still have like every year 
at uh, the uh, uh, lunar calendar year, uh, lunar new year we celebrate it right we celebrate uh, together we bring folks together we go to visit friends and relatives and things like that we celebrate certain uh, cultural marker throughout the year that allow us to remind of who we are not to make us difference but really to celebrate our heritage so that we can be part of the larger society overall. I would also tell you, I want to go back and talk a little bit about extremism, right? And I, yeah. I, I talk a little bit about um, being Asian American and people look at you differently. I, I will tell you this story. Myself, for example, I'm in, in uniform, I'm traveling uh, and I go to the airport and the TSA uh, Asian look at me and said, well, you know, if you're military, you can go into this uh, line here, but what military are you serving? There's more of that than you think, right? There's more of that type of uh, thinking. Again, like I said, Asian American is being looked at as a perpetual immigrant because um, we are, we look different. And some, and the, even within the Asian American group, right, there's multiple layers of uh, different ethnicity. There are Korean American, there's Vietnamese American, there are uh, Chinese American, and then there's a zero generation versus the uh, second or third or fourth generation. There's people who were born and live here their entire life, right? And their parents was here, their parents was back in the 1800, you know, helping with building this whole country. Until 1940s, right, Asian American cannot vote. Think about it. That just recent, that, that's, that's not, that, that just recent, in his, yeah, no, that's not too long ago that uh, Asian American cannot vote. And we change it, right? We change that. There's a Chinese Exclusion Act that limited number of Asian that could come into the country. They go Chinese that can come into the country, but Chinese really Asian, right? But then there's also this notion about uh, Asian American as a model minority because we are always do well. And the model minority is a concept that we shouldn't be embracing. Let's put it that way, because what it does is that it creates a division between Asian American and other group of minorities. If you tell me there's one thing that I would love to, uh, one thing that I think that is the most precious resources in America, and what, um, what make America great, what really make America great is really the people, the diversity of the people. What make America great is the fact that we are all together in this melting pot. Thanksgiving, right? We give thanks to the Native American who are helping have we forgotten that we also immigrated to this country from the beginning, from day one? So we have this thing here at Division Newport. We haven't done it uh, because of COVID, so we haven't done it in a while, but we have, it's probably the greatest day out of the work year, and that's International Day. So we'll have like, in the gym, we'll have like, I don't know, 20, 30 booths from different, uh, posted by different people of different heritages, and they make something from that culture. What, if you had a booth at our Division Newport International Day, what would you make for us? I think that uh, 
on those days, especially you don't want to get messy, I would make uh, finger food such as egg rolls and things like that, or maybe even some very specialty finger food that I can make for you. But my favorite food is really uh, the beef soup, Vietnamese beef uh, soup, they call pho. Yes. I so. That's my favorite. My <laughs> awesome favorite. So but uh, definitely when we get together, I, I would love to invite you and your team to come down here and join me at uh, uh, going to a pho restaurant for... No, that's happening. We're definitely going yeah. out for pho. That's for sure yeah. happening. But yeah, you brought up a good point here, right? I mean, we enjoy each other's uh, type of food. We enjoy each other's uh, uh, the culture. And that's that's what we should be promoting, right? We we should be promoting yeah. that. And but more than that, we we as a nation, as a nation of immigrant, I think there's so much more that we can accomplish together. We build this nation together. We continue to make this nation the number one nation in the world. We want to continue to promote democracy and freedom around the world. We should be the beacon of these ideals, so that the world will look at us and said, "I want to be like American," right? Part of the reason everyone want to come here, part of that is because we have a, the shining beacon in terms of uh, freedom and democracy. That's a true statement that I don't think that, uh, and it still is today for a lot of people. I can't All thank right. you enough for your time. I know it's precious. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks to your team for helping set this up, all the logistics of it. Thanks very much thank for that. So yeah. Tangents. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tangents. You can find all Tangents podcasts on the Tangents Wiki, and you can follow us on Fusion, hashtag Tangents.